0: Several weeks ago in prayer concerning our church and where we were at, the Lord laid several men on my heart that I felt like needed to come and speak a word to our church and into us during this season. We call them seven supernatural Sundays. We're not putting pressure on the man. We're putting pressure on God because he's the one that does the supernatural we just make ourselves available, and He does the rest. And I'm, I'm thankful tonight to have with us, Brother Gerald and Sister Brenda Morris, two of our closest friends. And I will tell you that if I have any kind of theological question, this is the guy I called my brother. One of them, but he's one of them uh, because he is such a great preacher and such a great spirited man. I love them. I'm glad they're here tonight. I believe he has a word to speak to our church tonight. I'm ready to receive it. How about you? Clap your hands to the Lord as Brother Morris comes.
1: Thank you, Brother Hughes, and praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you, and you may be seated. It is good to be in greater life. I was thinking on my way over here that if I lived in Houston, without question, southeast Houston, this would be the church that I would belong to. You are a blessed people. You have an outstanding pastor, but I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. As Brother Hughes said, we are good friends and uh, we have spent a lot of time together and uh, I dearly respect and love and appreciate uh, these good people. I enjoy spending time with them and feeling the touch of God's hand and uh, just knowing how great and mighty this God that we serve really is. I am excited with you about what uh, the good Lord is doing as far as your future is concerned. Uh, I feel that you have got great days ahead of you, a great outpouring of the Spirit like never ever before, and uh, only time is going to be able to tell what's going to take place. I do believe in the latter rain. I believe we're going to see an outpouring of the Spirit like we've never, ever seen before in all of our lives. I really believe that. I believe that the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. And I read in the book of Acts about the former house and the events that take place. And then to think that what we are going to experience is going to be greater than that, I get extremely excited I believe we're going to see more people receive the Holy Ghost than has ever before received it. I do believe we're going to see miracles. I believe we're going to see thinking about all. Oh, wow. I get excited just uh, thinking about all that God is going to do. And to think that you and I get. Well, praise God. Anybody excited about being a clay pipe that he can flow through? Praise God. I am looking across this congregation and I am seeing various people that I have known through the years. And uh, I am excited to see all of you. Uh, I see Brother Harvey Vickery back there. And uh, if he makes it to heaven, it's going to be because God put me into his life. When I was 12 years old, he was my Sunday school teacher. And I can promise you that I was a challenge for any and every Sunday school teacher that ever darkened the doors of that classroom. But there was something about him. I sized him up and I tried to pop off and act like a man, you've had it. And he just looked at me like, is that all you've got? And uh, it didn't take me long to uh, respect him. And uh, my type of personality, when I, in time, respect someone, well, I will listen to him. And uh, that's one of the good reasons that uh, your pastor is such a good friend of mine. I respect him. I respect his consecration, his dedication, the time that he spends with the Lord, And I, every now and then, pick up my Bible and read, and I just can't seem to get any inspiration. Well, I know it's time to call Mark Hughes, because there's something about uh, just talking with him for a little while. He can make something in the Word come alive for me, and uh, I deeply, deeply appreciate him. And I am hoping and praying that God will minister in a very definite and in a very special way right here tonight. I want to read to you from the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Uh, this is a, a passage of scripture, a verse of scripture, that you have heard many, 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 many times. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let me read it one more time. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. My title tonight is in the form of a question. The question is simply this, are you in the grip of the vision? Say that with me if you would, please. Are you in the grip of the vision? God bless you and you may be seated. Throughout the years, I have often heard this verse of Scripture. Many times it is used as a basis for a leader to cast a vision. And I suppose that every church has a vision. There are times that every leader stands up. He has a plan. He has a goal. This is how we're going to be able to Uh, travel this journey from where we are to see our goal fulfilled, and that is their vision. And without question, this verse of Scripture, where there is no vision, the people perish, gives credence to vision casting. However, for many, many years I have read this verse of Scripture And I have felt like there was something more to it. There was something more than just a plan. There was something more than just a method. And I would look at it and I would scratch my head and contemplate it for a few moments and I would move on. I enjoy reading the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is my favorite Old Testament book. And I try to read it through at least once every month. And every now and then, I read it in a different translation. And not too long ago, I was reading in the ESV, the English Standard Version. And as I read this verse of Scripture, I realized that, hey... This translation gives just a little more insight to this verse. And the ESV reads this way, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And I stopped for a moment and I looked at it again and I thought, hey, what is the scripture really declaring here? When it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. When I read a verse like that and it gets my attention, I've got a habit of looking at all the other translations, English translations. And on this particular day, I read quite a few. I will only share one more with you. And that is the New King James Version. I turned there and I read this verse of Scripture, Proverbs 29 and 18. And the King James, New King James, puts it this way. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. As you well know, the Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language. We don't speak Hebrew. However, with all of the helps that are available today through technology, we are able to go to the actual Hebrew word, go to the original word, go to the Hebrew dictionary, and get a little bit more insight and a little bit more understanding. And so I begin to look at this word, vision, that was translated vision in the english language it comes from a hebrew word charzon and uh, the word actually means in its original state a dream but it goes a little deeper than that it's more than a dream it's a vision it's something that you can see it's something that gets a hold of you it's direction oracle a revelation Or it is an oracle. And the longer I looked at it, the longer I read it, the more time I spent there trying to analyze what is really meant by the word vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. I came to the realization to realize that the word vision is actually talking about the word of the Lord. It's the vision. It is the prophetic revelation. It is the oracle. And without a vision, the people perish. And without a vision, there is absolutely no restraint. And we cast off restraint. If there's anything we need in this day and this hour and this time that we are living in, it is a vision. And I want to ask you a question Are you in the grip of the vision? Has it gotten a hold of you? Is there a strong grip that holds you and restrains you from doing what this old adamic nature of yours would like to do? Does it grip your heart? Does this vision grip your mind? Are you in the grip of the vision? This past October... My wife and I took a little trip, and we went back to New York City. I moved there when I was 25 years old. She was 21. We opened a church in Queens. Both of our children were born there. Gerald DeWayne was with us, his wife and his two boys. This past October, when we went back to take a little time of memory and just Look at all of the events and the things that uh, we remembered. We spent one day, twelve hours in Manhattan. Gerald o Wayne's oldest boy. His name is Trace. He's actually Gerald the third, and we just used the Spanish word Trace three, and we call him Trace. Uh, he is autistic. Uh, he has got a few issues and a few problems and. It's real easy for him to get lost and to just kind of wander off and disappear. And uh, he's also virtually deaf. Uh, he signs. And uh, when he gets nervous, well, he can't speak at all. His speaking is limited. But when he gets fearful, he cannot speak at all. And so my son did not want to take the chance whatsoever of Trace getting separated from us in that city. And if you've ever been in New York City, especially Manhattan, you are aware that it is teeming with uh, unbelievable crowds of people. Six million people live on Manhattan Island, which is actually smaller than the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. But Monday through Friday, there is... Between 8 and 9 million that eat lunch uh, on that island each and every day. And we spent the day walking and uh, jumping on subways and running here and running there. And uh, it was a very active day. And my son, we call him Gerald Wayne, he had a hold on Trace. And uh, he wouldn't let Trace go. And Trace would squirm and Trace would try to get away from him. And uh, he just couldn't he had a grip. He wasn't going to take the chance of him getting away. Uh, he restrained his every movement. And uh, and he finally just gave up and uh, followed along and quit uh, fussing and fighting about it. And we were staying the evening in Connecticut. And we went to Grand Central and got on a train to take us across into Connecticut. And we settled down. It was about 10 that night, and we were all somewhat tired. And I turned around, and I looked at Trace, and I said, Trace, did you have fun in New York City? And he looked at me, and uh, he was so expressive. He said, no, my shoes hurt, and my dad helped me too tight. I just want to ask you one more time. Are you in the grip of the vision? Has he got a hold upon you? Is there something that restrains you? Hey, we all have an Adamic nature. There is within us an attraction to this old world that we live in. Sin is natural. It appeals to us. I need a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision, the people cast off restraint. I need something that will grip me. I need something that will hold me. I need something that will tell me no. I need something that will keep me in a place because it will protect me and watch over me and meet each and every need in my life, the book of First Samuel, chapter three, gives us a little more insight into this word, vision. First Samuel chapter three, verse one, and the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious. Everyone say precious in those days. And then I want you to note the last five words of that verse. There was no open vision. As I begin to look at this word vision, and I begin to run references and try to get some kind of an insight, And an understanding. And as I told you, I was reading different English translations. And the word of the Lord was precious. Well, we look at that word and, you know, my wife is precious. And my grandkids are precious. And uh, we, we use that word and sometimes we get caught up in the way we use that every day. And we would really lose it. But other English translations, instead of using the word precious, it simply reads this way. And the word of the Lord was rare. That's why it was precious. It was because it was rare. It rarely, seldom happened. It was precious or slash rare in those days. And I thought, what in the world do you mean? In those days. And it caused caused me to begin to dig and to look. And I after a while of reading and and uh, probing came to the realization That actually, this period of time that we are talking about right here with Eli, who was a direct descendant from Aaron. He's the high priest. The tabernacle has been set up in Shiloh. They're no longer traveling. They're in the promised land. It's permanent. And in those days, we're actually talking about the era. Those days, the era of the judges. In fact, Samuel was the very last of the judges. I don't think I need to tell you because you have read through the book of Judges. Joshua dies. There's not a leader. There's a vacuum. There's not a voice for righteousness. There's not a voice that echoes the vision. The oracle is not spoken. Somehow at the death of Joshua and his generation, there arose a generation that knew not God. Because in those days the word of God was rare. It was hardly ever spoken. And it was hardly ever spoken because of their attitude toward it. How often have you read in the book of Judges, and every man did that that was right in his own Eyes. The culture got a hold of them. The word of the Lord was not there. The grip of the vision wasn't there. There wasn't something that restrained them. There wasn't something that helped them back. There wasn't something that kept them in line. There wasn't something that checked their wild, Adamic emotions. And because of their attitude toward God and doing that that was right in their own eyes, the word of the Lord was precious. Let me stop for just a moment and tell you, there is not anything in all this world as precious as this old book. You better embrace it. You better fall in love with it. You better find a place in your heart for it. You better hide it on the inside of you that you will not sin. You better allow it to have a voice. You better allow it to be an authority. You better allow it to be in charge and in control of your life. But in that day, it was rare. It hardly ever took place. It made me stop and I began to look. And it took me a little while to do it because I had to go back with timelines and uh, try to get a little insight and understanding. And I am not saying that I am absolutely exact, uh, but it is almost there. Now listen for just one moment. This is startling. We're talking about the people of God. We're talking about the tabernacle. we're, We're talking about people that would bring their sacrifices. We're talking about a form of worship. The mosaic insight. The keeping of the law. And yet the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Just how long had it been since there had been a divinely spoken word? And so I began to look, and you know, I don't mean to sound bad, but I've read the second chapter of 1 Samuel a lot of times, and I like Sister Hannah, her prayer, making herself available to her giving of herself to God, and her making herself available to God. But I don't know, I guess I'm kind of... Got a little problem every now and then, and God is working with me and changing me up a little bit, but I have a hard time hardly imagining a woman speaking the Word of God. Now, don't stone me just yet. I do know that the hand of the Lord's on them, and God uses them, and I'm all for it. But I had never really looked in the second chapter of 1 Samuel where, you know, we, we refer to it as the song of Hannah. Have you ever looked at it? Have you ever read it? I read it the other day in a rare form with the realization that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and just what it really said and what was being spoken. And friend, you ought to go back sometimes and get down her song and read it. It was full of prophecy. It was full of insight. It was more than just a melody and a song of praise unto the Lord for what the Lord had given to her and what he had done. In fact, that woman did not even know what she was doing. She even spoke prophetic words about events that were yet to take place in Israel. Now... The word of the Lord was rare in those days. I thought, well, how long had it been? And this is where I had to go digging and and try to get a hold of timelines. And and according to the scholars, from the second chapter of 1 Samuel, Hannah's song, and you begin to move backwards, how long had it been in the era of the judges that started with the death of Joshua? Since someone had been able to open themselves up and be the kind of an individual through prayer and consecration and dedication that the vision could flow through, that the Word of God could suddenly get down deep on the inside and come flowing out of their innermost being like a rushing river of life. And to my utter amazement, when Hannah first spoke, the word of the Lord and got a vision from the Lord. It had been the first time that God had spoken through any of his children in 125 years. It goes all the way back to another woman. Deborah, the prophetess, the fourth judge. You will remember in her tent, The enemy came in, and with a peg, she drove it through his temple and pinned him to the ground. And there was great, great victory. But she was a lady of consecration. She was a lady of dedication. And she was a lady that wasn't willing for the vision to just be on tablets of stone and laid up here somewhere and laid up there somewhere. And she didn't want to just know it and have heard it and read it. She, she wanted to be in the grip of it. To, and she wanted it to be flowing through her. She wanted it down on the inside of her being. Eli, the high priest... He's not in the grip of the vision. And inasmuch as he is not in the grip of the vision, his two sons, Phineas, Hophni, they're not in the grip of the vision. Oh, they're going through a form of godliness. They're putting money in their pocket. They show up at the table of God blind. hold it in the temple every day. They're stealing the people of God, blind, taking part of the sacrifice that should have been given to the Lord. They're committing immoral acts. It's well known. It's established. It's not hearsay. Eli, their father, hears about it. And Eli goes and he, I've always thought that he reproved them. He didn't really reprove them. He didn't really discipline them. He fussed a little bit. He said, hey, you're you're making me look bad. And he was more concerned about his image and what the people thought about him than he was about the Lord. In other words, Eli himself, the high priest, wasn't in the grip of the vision. And as a result of not being in the grip of the vision, there was no restraint. And so he didn't restrain those boys. He didn't stop. He didn't remove them from the priesthood. He didn't set them down. He didn't say, this is not the way we're going to be. There was just simply no open vision in that day. And so I want to ask you something. Is the word of the Lord flowing through your heart? (laughs) Are you in the grip of the vision? (laughs) Is there something restraining you? (laughs) Is there something holding you back? Can I be real honest with you for a moment? I want to make myself look bad. Come September, I'm going to be 70 years of age, and I know that. I know that I'm not a young whippersnapper. I know that uh, whatever was ever there, if it was ever there, it has kind of faded with time. But the other day, I was walking down the road, and uh back in a little open doorway, uh, there was a woman. I was in a large city. And a little woman back up in there I say, a little woman i I think that uh, you're abusing the word to refer to her that way. I think you'll get the picture of what I mean uh, uh someone of the night, and uh, she from the shadows of that uh, uh entrance said, "Hey, good looking, you have a couple of minutes that we could just chit and talk and, and and see where we want to go and what we want to do." Well, hey, I'm almost 70 years old. I know that I'm not good looking. But, uh you know, if if not careful, you, you, you don't want to stop and, and allow. You remember what David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes? Why even give yourself an opportunity to let someone set a hook in you? You you know what I needed at that moment? And thank God it was there. I needed the restraint of God's Word. I needed a grip. I, I needed to feel His pressure. I needed to feel His hand. I needed Him to reach down and get a hold of me and say, Just keep walking. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Keep your eyes on me. Walk with me. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, there's no restraint. There's nothing that holds you back. There is absolutely nothing that keeps you down. Let me remind you of what Amos said. He said there's coming a day when there's going to be a famine. Not of the Word. But a famine of the hearing of the Word. Look at our nation. The Word of God is not welcome in some educational classrooms. The Word of God is not welcome in some kind of a public spectrum where you're going to stand and read. Nobody wants to hear you pray. They're trying to close down everything because there's a famine of the hearing of the Word. It's not getting down in my heart. I'm no longer in the grip. I find myself as a pastor preaching to people, reaching for people, teaching people that have had the Holy Ghost and, they still have it, I guess. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. And I, I don't want to make them sound bad, and it's only just a handful of them. But I pastor some people that are not in the grip of the vision. There's no restraint. They go wherever they want to go. They do whatever they want to do. And God forbid that the pastor would stand up. And try to exercise any kind of authority in their life. And speak into their life. And back them up a little bit and say, hey, you need to be careful. The purpose of the vision is to keep you and me from transgression. It's to keep us from sin. The wages of sin is death. I don't think we really understand how devastating sin really is. You know, Paul in his teachings, Romans, he makes us aware of the fact that by one individual sin entered into the world. It impacted Eve, it impacted Adam, it impacted their children, their grandchildren their great-grandchildren. It's amazing how contagious sin really is. The animal kingdom was impacted by where lambs used to lay with wolves. Now the wolf goes after the lamb. There's chaos. Even the earth itself was impacted by sin. The, the earth was cursed. The weather was out of line. Sin, it, it does something unbelievable to you and to me. Now, I'm not taken away from the blood. Only the blood can wash away sin. But you listen to me for a moment. And you listen carefully to me for a moment. The blood, while it will wash away sin, it won't keep you from sin. The only thing that will keep you from sin is the vision. There's got to be a restraint. There's got to be a grip. There's got to be the word down in your heart. Look at something with me for a moment. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is Abram. The Lord is getting ready to speak to him. Everybody love O Abram? I do. Great old patriarch. Where would we be if it wasn't for Abram? But I want you to look at something. I'm not trying to make him look bad. I just want you to look at something real carefully with me for a moment. Now the Lord, Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord is sent unto kindred of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And so, Abraham packs up, tells dad, Bye. I'm going out and I'm going to look for a city whose builder and maker is God. You and I need to very carefully pour over this book. We need to read it again and again and again. We need to be sure that we have every little detail of the vision. We need to be sure that we grasp it. Years ago... I went to the Rock of Gibraltar. We had been in Spain preaching. And I went to the Rock of Gibraltar. There's a part of the Rock of Gibraltar that you can't go into. That was the part I wanted to go into. It's an inner oval shape. And they say it's a whole lot like the earth, the planet. And it was in there. Back when he was General Eisenhower before he became the president of the United States of America, Ike Eisenhower sat at a table and all of the great war minds came and they had the they were in the middle of this room and all the nations and the continents was round about them. And it was there that they plotted and planned the battle or battles i should say that would eventually bring world war II to an end i don't know just why maybe it was because ike was the first president that i remembered as a boy in the 50s but i've always been somewhat interested in old ike and i've read a little bit about him and uh, they they say that ike was a uh, Uh, one of these individuals that, uh, I don't know exactly what it is. My wife accuses me of it at times uh, where, you know, certain light switches have got to be turned off a certain way where there's two way switches and I want them down on this side of the room and I want them up on this side of the room. And, uh, she, sometimes I don't know where she gets it from exactly what it is, but sometimes she refers to me as Monk. Eisenhower was somewhat like that. They say that he would say to them after they had maybe gone over the plan two, three, four, five times, and they had put everything away and everybody had gone home, that he would get on his phone and call one of his assistants and say, bring all the generals back to the room. Maybe it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night there at the Rock of Gibraltar. And they would all come in and he'd look at them and he'd say, I want to go over the plan one more time. I want to look at it real carefully. I want to make sure that we're not overlooking something. I want to make sure that there's not some kind of a little uh, loophole here or some kind of a little crack that we're maybe falling into. It was interesting to me. He died in uh, the early 70s. And he was unconscious. And I had read quite a bit about him. And I never will forget for just the newscasters and talking about it. That uh, he rallied there for just a little bit before he took his last breath. And his close friends and some family was there. And said he looked at them. And nobody really knew what he was saying. Because it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And he looked at them and said, Hey, bring me the plan. I want to go over it one more time. Somebody bring me the vision. I want to go over it one more time. That's what Abram should have done. We read that quickly and we fail to realize that While he was obedient, he was not 100% obedient. Let me quickly fill in a few blanks here. You know that Abram and his wife Sarah, they were childish. Abraham had a brother that was killed in war. This deceased brother had a little small boy by the name of Lot, Abram's nephew. Abram and Sarah took Lot when he was just a toddler into their home. He was more than a nephew. He became family. He became their son. Uh, In a sense, he was adopted. And uh, it's now time for him to listen to what the Lord has said. Uh, I want you to get out of your country. And from thy Kindred. Now, you know, God's not unreasonable. Lot's not a little toddler anymore. In fact, Lot's an adult. Lot's married. Lot's a father. His children, Abraham looked at them as if they were his own grandchildren. It would have been so wise of Lot. If he would have gone over the vision just one more time. Let me read it carefully. I am to leave my kindred. Oh, he left his brother. He left all of his relatives with one exception. He took lot with him. I haven't got time to fill in all the details. It is a Bible lesson within itself. But I want you to note all the strife and the heartache and the pain that was in Abraham's life while he was alive because he took Lot with him. And then the heartache and the pain years into advance after the death of Abraham that Abraham's descendants were going to have to suffer because He did not allow the vision to really grip him tightly to where he dotted the I and crossed the T and went over it one more time to be certain that he had completely, totally fulfilled it. Anybody ever heard of the Moabites? How did the Moabites come into being? Oh. Lot is led out of Sodom. His wife becomes a pillar of salt. Lot escapes to the mountains. Lot's two unmarried daughters get their dad intoxicated. They go and they lay with him. They both conceive. And both of them gave birth to sons. Both of their sons became leaders of great clans and tribes that were contrary to the people of God. And one of them happened to give birth to a little boy that the Scripture said became the father of the Moabites. Perhaps there would have never been any Moabites. If Abraham had allowed himself to have really been caught up in the vision. And he had completely submitted himself to it. And completely obeyed it. What is the result of that? You know what Balaam did. Balaam encouraged the Moabites. I can't curse them. But I'll tell you how you can get the protection off of them. Get your... Children to begin to intermingle and get them involved and get them attracted to one another. And in time, they will begin to intermarry. And when they begin to intermarry, and they begin to, to take the vision. And, and the re- word of the Lord will be rare in those days. And they won't be in the grip of it anymore. And it and will be real easy for there to be thin eyes and hot knives and people that just don't have any restraint. They're not in the grip. There's nothing that holds them. There's nothing that restrains them. And the judgment of God fell. And get this. 24,000 of Abraham's great, 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 great grandchildren died in a plague. Because of their intermarrying with the Moabites. And the Moabites would have never been if he had totally allowed the vision to have dictated to him. You can't pick and choose what you like. Did you hear me? You can't pick and choose what you like. Well, I like this, but uh, I'm going to kind of skirt around that. and I'll have so much of God, it'll be okay. Uh Uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. I I want to tell you something. I have found out that the Word of God is a protection. It's it's a shield. I I, I need to be in the grip. I I need it to squeeze my mind every now and then. I need it to squeeze my heart. I I need it to just get down deep on the inside of me. I want to remind you about Moses. You know, he marries a Gentile woman. Burning Bush, he's took Sapporo, his wife. They're traveling back to Egypt. <clears throat> they stop at an inn. And in the middle of the night, before they cross over into Egypt, the Spirit of the Lord comes down and God is about to take the life of Moses. Now, Moses had three boys. And he's married to a Gentile woman that did not understand circumcision. And to her, it's barbaric. To her, it has no reason. Hey, let me stop for a moment and tell you something. Don't try to rationalize the things of God. Don't try to reason out truth. You need to just simply trust God. I can remember when I was a teenager... My dad would usually allow me to ask him questions. I'd want to do something and say, no, you can't do it. And I'd say, why? He said, you wouldn't understand if I told you. He said, I just told it, told you, so just do it. I thought that was so dumb. But in time, I had a boy that said, can I do so and so? And I'd look at him and I'd say, no, you can't do it. And he'd say, but why? And I could remember my dad. But now suddenly I understood. But he wouldn't be able to understand. You, you gotta understand something. While we may be adults, while we may have already finished high school, where we may already have degrees, we might have successfully achieved a lot of things in life. You've got to understand that his thoughts are far above our thoughts and his insight is far greater than mine and there's a lot of things I don't understand about that book. Just because I don't understand it does not mean that I am not obligated to be obedient to it. Amen. And so, I don't know, Sapporo, maybe she told Moses, that's so barbaric, that's so gross. This baby boy, we're not going to do it. But before they got into Egypt, the Spirit of the Lord came and was about to take Moses out. And somehow, there's not details there, but you read it. She got up and realized we didn't follow the vision. And she circumcised that baby. And she took that foreskin and she threw it at Moses. And she said, oh, you're a bloody husband to me. Hear me, I am of the absolute, I am absolutely convinced and I am of the opinion that if Moses had gone into Egypt without having fulfilled all the little details of the vision that he didn't even understand, he would have found himself in a heap of trouble when he came up against Pharaoh. Hey, the vision protects me. The vision holds me. And you you haven't got to understand this thing to obey it. Do your kids have to understand you for you to make them obey? There's a good looking group of teenagers up here. They're pretty wise, you know. If you don't think so, just ask them. They've got an understanding of life. You old fogies don't grasp what they know But just because you're an old fogey and they understand things you don't understand, are you going to give in to them? Are you going to let them do things that you know is going to take them down? And let me say something to you young people. You better be glad there's an authority in your life. And you better be glad there's somebody that tells you no. And you better be glad that there's somebody that's got you in the grip of the vision. Give me just a few more minutes here. 21st century. The American apostolic church. I don't remember the first time I went to church. From the time I was born, my dad took me to church. I seem to have just grown up there. I can remember as a boy there on the avenues where i sighed some sometime to pray and going by the old garage there on the avenues where I grew up and I'd hear a sound in there and I'd go open, it be summertime and hot and somewhere back up in the corner laying down on an old dirty concrete floor I'd see my dad praying. I, I can't remember a night before he went to bed that he and my mom didn't have their Bibles out reading and striving and uh, you know he he was in the very first church in Houston back when the late Oliver false had a church if you can believe this on seventy fifth avenue and canal and Brother False had a sister by the name of Faith, married Faith Williams. She and my dad used to take turns being the piano player for the services for old Brother false. That was back in the days, not too long after the so-called new issue. There wasn't a lot of books written about the oneness of God. You know, you and I have had this truth handed to us on gold-plated platters. We haven't had to dig for it. One of the greatest treasures that I've got, and I've got it in cellophane because I don't want time to cause any more decay. It's an old cigar box. He never was a smoker, so don't imagine that. But you know, back in that day, you could go to a drugstore. And you could buy a cigar box that they had sold all the cigars out of for five cents. And uh, they would keep important papers in old cigar boxes back in that day. And I learned as a kid that that cigar box on his dresser kept all of his important papers. And one day I wanted to find out what some of those important papers were. And I opened them up and I found scriptures. And he was left-handed and he had a unique way of writing. And he would write out one of the scriptures and put thoughts on it. And little insight and little understanding. And he, he would write about separation and the need for this and the need for that. And I, I grew up in that kind of a atmosphere. But hey, it's the 21st century. Culture is dictating to us. Culture is saying, come on, times have changed. That's not really all that important. There is a laxness that is getting a hold of us. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. We we live in a very dangerous hour (laughs) I I don't want to get lax. I I don't want to take parts of this vision and say, oh, that's not really necessary anymore. I don't agree with that anymore. I was getting my hair cut the other day. And my daughter-in-law's mother is my barber. And she goes to a denominal church. And someone came in and they were talking about the Bible and And she turned around and it was some kind of an issue as to what was right and wrong. And she said, Brother Morris, never mind. She said, I don't want to ask Brother Morris because he does not recognize the day that we are living in. To him, it's either white or black. It's either right or wrong. And I need to talk to somebody that has a little understanding about time. Let me tell you something. He is eternal Time does not age him. Time doesn't change the book. Ever, O oh Lord, is thy word settled in the heavens. Time doesn't change the book. Don't get lax with the vision. If there was anybody that had a vision, and I'm, 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 You didn't hear it, but the wheels just came down. I'm I'm getting ready to head for the runway. If there was anyone that had vision, it was David, the sweet singer of Israel. Did you know that he even wrote? He wasn't a prophet, but he even had prophetic utterances. He talked about the prince in his hands and... There's a lot of things he talked about the crucifixion. He had great, great vision and great, great understanding. But somewhere down the road, David got to relaxing in the finer things of life. And he got lax with the vision. You know the story. By Sheba. Conception, necessary to bring her husband home, but he doesn't cooperate. And so we got to work out a plan to eliminate him. Almost nine months later, just before the baby that was born out of wedlock is to be born, Nathan the prophet comes walking in and he talks to him. And after a while, David looks up. He's broken. He said, oh, is the Lord going to require of me my life? In other words, am I going to be taken out and stoned to death? Others were stoned to death for that. And before you think that God played favorites, hear me out. Nathan said, no, David, he's not going to require of you your life. But hear me, because you, and I'm adding these words, but this is the essence of it. Because you got lax with a vision. The sword, which represented the judgment of God, will never leave your house. Yesterday, I sat down. And I started digging and writing and reading everything i get my hands on. And listen, make a list. I don't have it with me, and I wouldn't have time to go over it if I had it with me. But there were 20 tragic events or outright tragedies that David experienced. From the sword of God's judgment. Because he got lax with a vision. Some of the most heartbreaking situations. That any man could ever live with. Where. A half brother. Would rape. A half sister. And her full brother would come. And murder the half brother. A son that would try to steal the kingdom from him. A son that would go into his wives in front of everybody and commit immoral acts. While David was running like a fugitive for his life. The humiliation, 20 such tragic events. And it all goes back to the fact that somehow he allowed the vision to lose its grip. Oh, he still had the vision. And that's the problem with a lot of us modern day apostolics. We still got the vision, but the vision hadn't got us. We're not in the grip of it. We're not in the grip of it. Hey Trace, did you have a good time? No! My shoes hurt. And my dad held my hand too tight. I want to tell you something in this hour that I'm living in. I want to say, hey, dad, don't let go of me. Hold me tight. Grip me a little bit tighter. Bring me to a place where I can't hardly stand. Oh, I want to feel the grip of the vision. Praise God. Praise God. How did James put it? He said, You need to have the word engrafted. A modern English word would be implanted. You got the word implanted in you? Is the word on the inside and has it got a grip on your heart? Someone hit me up the other day and said, Pastor, why can't we do this? I said, I don't know, but I could really give you a logical explanation. But we're just not going to do it. Because my pastor told me not to do it. And somewhere down the road, somebody over him told him not to do it. And it's not going to change on this watch. I may not be able to give you some kind of a logical explanation that will hold you, but I want to tell you something. It hadn't hurt me. I've been in the grip of that teaching. I've been in the grip of that vision and I'm not ready to loose it. I'm not ready to allow it to be lax. I'm going to do it the way I was taught to do it. I'm going to hold to this book. I'm going to embrace it. I wanted to get down deep on the inside of my heart let it be implanted let it be implanted this isn't live is it ok thank the good Lord cause I want to tell you something just in case somebody's watching me Wednesday night I told my wife on the way home from church I called a couple of names of people I said they they worry me. Two wives. I think in their heart. They want this. But their husbands. And their. Are kind of stiff armed And they're influencing them. And they're getting them off track. And they're, they're getting them to the place to where. They're trying to get the grip of the vision loosed from them and she said well, how can you tell and I'll tell you one of the ways I tell I'm you know I'm an old man so I guess I'm old fashioned but I make a note of the fact that after the word of the Lord has been preached and the bread of life has been broken and people don't want to come around an altar and pray It tells me something ain't right. You can't respond. She said, well, what happened? I said, well, people come around the altar to pray and they just sit there with their arms folded. And I can feel something in them that wants to, but they're more obligated to their husbands. You know, next month we're going to have been married for 46 years. I don't want anything to happen to her. I love her. She says she loves me. I choose to believe her. I think God wants us to have a happy home. He's the one that instituted the home and marriage. I want to tell you something. If on the way home she says, hey, I've had all the church I want. I'm not going to go back to church and... If you're going to keep going to church Well our marriage is over Let me tell you something There's not even anything to think about Because I made a commitment to God A long time ago When I told him I want to get in the grip of the vision And there's some things I don't even need to consider There's some things I don't even need to pray about There's some things I don't need to think about My commitment to God is going to be far greater You know what the man of God That came by and rebuked Eli He told him And Nathan also told David You put yourself and others above God. And you allowed your own influence and others' influence to speak volumes to you instead of the vision speaking to you. A little tighter, Lord. It's a dangerous day. A little tighter. Oh, said, there's seducing spirits in the air. There's all kinds of things reaching for me. I feel so vulnerable out here. A little tighter, Lord, a little tighter. Oh, I, I know I gotta quit, but I want to tell you something. It's not miracles that's gonna hold us. I believe in miracles. I myself am a miracle. I wasn't supposed to live, and if I did, it was to be in an iron lung, but God touched me and completely and totally healed me. I believe in miracles. But miracles won't hold you. Read in Hebrews. All of those that left Egypt that were 20 years of age and older, make a long list of their miracles. Miracles didn't hold them. You know why they wasn't helped? It was because when the fire fell and the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, and the finger of God came down and then described it, they backed up and they said, Hey, Moses, you just tell us what God said. Uh, That's a little too close for comfort. I don't want to get in the grip. It's not miracles that's going to hold you. It's the old-fashioned book. And let me tell you something. The Antichrist is going to raise the dead. I was praying yesterday, and I was praying about this service. And I felt like doing something that I wouldn't normally do in a place like this where... I'm not the pastor, and I realize that we're today a day with our media, and I'm not against it, that we don't bring Bibles to church like we used to. I do see a few sprinkled out here. Most of us either have an iPad or you've got a phone, and you've got the Scripture there. Have you got your Bible? Have you got an iPad? Have you got a phone? I don't like people get their phones out in church, but get your phone out there. Don't look at it as a smartphone right now, look at it as the vision. Look at it as the word. Are you in the grip of it? This is what I felt like doing yesterday, felt impressed to do while I was praying. Listen to me before you begin to move. I felt like asking families, even several generations of families, to get around the altar and to bring the vision. Because without a vision, the people perish. Happy are they that keep the law. Without a vision, there's no restraint. And I realize that there's people here that you don't have any blood relatives here. But let me tell you something. His DNA is in all of us. We're family. We have the same name and we have the same blood. And so just get with somebody like yourself that maybe doesn't have a spouse or a kid or a grandkid or somebody close to you. And I I, I'm, I would like if everybody would just get with somebody and bring a Bible with you and get all the way up around this place. And make a little circle and get the book out and hold it in your hand. And I want you to stand around and look at it. Would you do that with me, please? Thank you. What was it, David? What was it, David said? The entrance of thy word giveth what? Giveth light. You know, I I found a verse of Scripture yesterday in Micah chapter 3. Verse 6, where Micah was talking to the prophets that got lax with the vision. And their laxness was causing the people of God to err. And he said, I'm going to close the vision and your day will become night. He's talking in the spiritual terms now. Your soul is going to be darkened you're not going to see. You're not going to comprehend. You're not going to understand. The entrance of thy word giveth light suddenly. Oh, I see. I grasp. I understand. Hey, thy word's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. You know, and that day they would take, they had ankle lamps and they would put it around their ankles because they'd go out to look for the sheep at night and up and down the hillsides and You never knew where you was going to put your foot. And it might suddenly a stone throw. And you go tumbling down the mountain. And so they wore ankle lounge. He said, it's a light to my feet. Every step I take. I I want to see the light shining down there. I want to know that I'm on solid ground. You better love this old book. You better love this old book. And let me tell you something, you've got a pastor, you need to tune your ear into that voice. You don't need to resent, you you need to. Let me just tell you, I was a rascal as some of these people around here will tell you, but I'm going to ask them not to. One night, my old pastor got on to me, and so I thought when we got in the car... I was going to take care of that situation. And I said to my dad, the car was started. It was in reverse. He was halfway out of the parking lot over there on Old Market and Rouse. I said, Brother Kilgore just doesn't like me. He mistreats me all the time. And to my horror, suddenly the car began to move forward. He parked. He said, Come on. And he got me out and he marched me in and he said, Pastor, Gerald says that you pick on him. And he had just gotten after me for some things I didn't want my dad to know that I'd done. And he was kind. He said, oh, I love Gerald. I want him to make it. And he hugged me and said, no problem. But I realized real quick, my dad was never going to. Come between the pastor and me He's going to stand beside the pastor And you would be wise to do that And in addition to that My pastor made a friend out of me that night That I realized I can trust And he's not going to go tell my dad What he would have taken me home And beat the living daylights out of me over You need to love this man You need to respect him You need to be careful how you talk about him You do Hey Hey you want your home to be secure. You want to stand. You want to make it. Then you know what you better do? You better let that book right there. And I want to tell you as a family. You better build yourself an altar. And you better let that vision lay there. And you better let it be an open vision. I don't want a closed vision, family. You need to be in the I want it to get engrafted. I, I want to get in the grip of it. And as a family. You need to be in the grip of the vision. Why don't you wrap your arms around one another and hold that book out there and begin to pray. Come on. Not just for a minute. Lift your voices.